podcast night. This episode is brought to you by Major Spoilers VIP members. VIP stands for very important people, and their small monthly contributions ensure that this podcast remains free for all of you. If you would like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com for more information. I sure do thank you for your support. Now, here's your show. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into detail about the topics discussed. So, if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items they talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, we play games with the new Teen Titans and see if Wolfman and Perez still got it. Spin the Wheel of Destiny with new logos, new networks, and old pop culture friends, plus a full slate of reviews to help navigate the wilderness that is comic books. Best of all, it's up to you to pick an upcoming TPP review. Help us, spoilerites, you're our only hope. Cue the pyros and hit our entrance music, jabronis, because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 677 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you for so much for downloading and listening and sharing this episode with a friend. And thank you, everybody, who's using that Amazon link over at Majorspoilers.com. Every time you make a purchase there, a little bit comes back our way, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So thank you so much for that. And I've heard an angel gets his wings. No, that doesn't happen. I, you can't disprove it? I, I can pretty, pretty close. <laughs> uh, let us get to some news. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of big uh, items this week. We've got DC changes its logo again. Kevin Smith is working on a Buckaroo Banzai television series. And mm-hmm. Supergirl is getting a second season and it's moving to the CW. Let's spin that wheel of destiny. Let's see where the uh, the news topic lands. And it lands right there on Supergirl is moving to the CW. Now, this was a big uh, thing that has been talked about both on Finally Friday with Ashley and I and on the Major Spoilers podcast and a lot of other places. Would Supergirl get a second season and would that second season be on CBS? Well, that all came to a head last week when it was announced that not only would Supergirl get a second season, but Mm -hmm. the entire show would be moving over to the CW network, uh, still being produced by Greg Berlanti and Berlanti Productions. Um so that's good, but there may be some things that we have to consider. So initial reactions, Ashley, on season two. Boy, they sure are going to have to not have Calista Flockhart be on that show anymore if their yeah. budget's getting cut by five million bucks. Yeah. Matthew? I'm glad that they're getting a season two. And honestly, if it means that we have to lose one or two of the big names, I, I think that as long as we don't lose the basis of the show, which is Melissa Benoist being pretty and super charming, I think we can pull it off. Rodrigo. Um, it was, in fact, pretty and super charming. So I think this is actually a good opportunity for the show to trim some of the uh, stuff that was kind of clunky at first. Um, this is a good opportunity to just kind of like pitch it and kind of start, give it a soft reboot. Yeah, mm, lose that okay. Max Lord cat. So sure, there are sure. there are a couple oh, of things that real? are probably going to happen. Now, we don't know all the details yet. Uh, I don't know what was revealed up at the upfronts uh, this week um, up in New York. But what we do know is that the budget is going to get a serious trimming. 
for the second season. Uh, part of that is just due to the nature of the two networks involved. Uh, Guild deals, uh, Ashley say that uh, CBS, you get to charge a little bit more or pay a little bit more for your actors and actresses. But if it's a CW series, maybe not so much. I mean, not a network, so. Yep. And the um, other thing that came out of this is now CBS has lost all control of the Supergirl property because that was part of the deal of it going over to the CW is that CBS has nothing to do with it anymore, even though the CW is co-owned by CBS and Warner Brothers. And the other thing that people are still up in the air about, but we expect to happen, is that the show will move up to Vancouver for even further cost savings. Any reactions to those things? I think... uh... Go ahead, Ashley. I was going to say, I think moving it to Vancouver um, would be a foolish move. I do understand it from a expense perspective, but I think um, National City is Los Angeles. Right. It's not even masquerading as not Los Angeles, the way Vancouver masquerades as not Star City and uh, not Central City. Like, it's just straight up L.A. with L.A. buses that say L.A. things on them and L.A. mountains and L.A. smog. Um, You cannot fake L.A. and Vancouver. Um. Stargate did it wrong. It all still looks like Vancouver. Um, I Again, I understand it from the cost perspective, but I think it would have to be a pretty big shift. So unless she's no longer working at CatCo and no longer in National City, I think the move to Vancouver, simply from a production and aesthetic standpoint, um, you're not going to fool people that much. Well, I, I mean, I agree with you on that, is that it will, the, the city is part of the, the show's identity. At the same time, I've seen so much being done with stock footage that a lot of it can be pretty faked uh, pretty easily. I mean, even the flying to uh, flying to the uh, DEO headquarters is just the actress on a green screen with, uh, uh, you know, B-roll behind her uh, that can be done at any time. And it, many times throughout that show, you see the same shots being used over and over and over again. Well, you know, Gotham you is sure a fake do. city. That's true. Yeah. It's fake Brooklyn. Yeah. Well, the problem, <laughs> the problem with the problem with National City is. You open on a shot of National City. Wow, there sure is the Liberty Tower from Los Angeles right there in the mm-hmm. middle of town. Uh, so I, I mean, they're not—they're not even hiding that. No, no, <laughs> it's no, it's, it's, no, they don't even attempt to do that. Here's the thing: I've never noticed that, and really? okay. I, yeah, I don't really pay attention. Stop it! To... You're going to let the network win if you say that. <laughs> you know what the network will win regardless. And again, I've said it before: put Melissa on screen. I don't care what the city is, but also. What they do, the city that they call Star City and the city that they call Central City are the same damn place. But they manage to make it feel like different places. And they manage to do that, I feel, relatively effectively, even though we know it's the same city that we saw in X-Files and Stargate and pretty much, you know, everything in the last 15, 20 years. Every Stargate. But that's the thing. I don't know that anything really particularly more than a different filter to keep it from looking like it's always night like you do on your arrow or that it's always you know blue for some reason like we do in uh, the flash episodes i think you you put a fake sun filter on it you'd be done with it and people you know can deal but then again i'm used to comics where you go from a comic that's drawn by somebody you love and then it's handed off to like i don't know jt cruel that's that's mean. I shouldn't say a name. We'll say Bob Bad Creator, who I've just made up. A.T. Drool. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I know. So, that. yeah, that happens. And I also know that on Flash that they're using a mixture of several cities in B-rolls that they show. Uh, so you see some of Vancouver, some of Seattle, 
there's yeah, a, they there's say a couple that, of other cities that they've used. But it's still Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sure. I mean, it sure it is. I well, mean, there's also to be issues fair, with... To be fair, if you stand on a tall enough building, you can see Seattle from Vancouver. That's true. That's probably not uh, inaccurate. <laughs> you can see your house from there. And for the vast majority of, and I'll just say it, those of us in flyover country, we really can't tell the difference between your sure, cities. Sure. We really can't live, tell the I live difference. in Los Angeles, and I don't think I can recognize the Los Angeles uh, skyline from a lineup. Mm. Yeah. Oh, dude, you can totally tell yeah. that castle is not in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's just canceled, so nobody cares anymore. Yeah, nobody cares about that. But, so but the, the thing is, I think that's important, though, is between staying in Los Angeles or moving to Vancouver for budget reasons, if that is indeed what they do... I'd rather they move to Vancouver and mm-hmm. figure totally. out a way to work around it however however they can. Now, the <laughs> other thing is that there are certainly a, not, a, a number of actors and actresses in the series who may not be comfortable with the move because you're going to be moving up to Vancouver for six months out of the year, nine months out of the year. And that may not be that may not sit well for some people who have like, for example, Melissa Benoist, who's married. Uh, her husband is an actor in Los Angeles. Maybe they don't want to be apart for that long Um, or they may want to try to do weird things. We've seen Grant Gustin on his Instagram feed say he fly literally flies into Los Angeles for a weekend, uh, extend a weekend with his brother or family or friends. And then he has to fly right back. So he very rarely gets to spend time in California and spends most of it up in Vancouver. So you think we'll lose some actors in this in this transition? Uh, Ashley, you said you think Callista Flockhart is probably going to be out. I just think she's obviously the most expensive person there. And I think with the slash budget trying to do what they're going to do, they're not going to be able to afford her. Um, I think that you are going to lose. I have a particular actor in mind who I think you're going to lose because I think that uh, they they are extending themselves to other options. Um, Wentworth North? I do think Jimmy is gone. Uh, if if they move to Vancouver, I think Melissa Benoist will stay. It's only in her best interest to stay. Oh, right. I don't think Jeremy, whatever his name is, has anything else going on. So I think he'll yeah. stay. And I think that for David Harewood, he's not from Los Angeles anyway. He's from London. So I think it's mm-hmm. like it's less hassle to go through customs in Canada. So I think he'll probably go to Vancouver. And so what about uh, Supergirl's sister? Shyla Lee. I, I oh, yeah. She, she got nothing else going on. She'll go. Doesn't she have family? I mean, isn't she? Doesn't she have kids and and family there in Los Angeles? Uh, I just mean from a, like a career perspective. Oh, sure. But, uh, like yeah. Supergirl's her main project. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm heartless. She I was, would leave my kids. Where do they record Grey's Anatomy? She was on Grey's Anatomy for uh, in Los Angeles. Okay. So, and this is the thing, though. I mean, when you look at first of all, I think that the reasoning is sound on Callista Flockhart. Moreover, Callista Flockhart, I think, is the the one who doesn't necessarily need to stay on this show to Absolutely. keep her career, you know, her burgeoning career afloat. And I think <laughs> that what it, what it really comes down to is when you're married to Harrison Ford, he just made 35 screw billion dollars. It's fine. But more importantly, I think that moving the show in at least in terms of young actors Young people, and you know, like Stephen said about Grant Gustin, young people are very flexible, and young working people who are making a lot of money will be like, "Oh yeah, I have no problem. I'll go, I'll go home and sleep for six hours, and then come back and work six double shifts." You know, I, I'm not saying that's ideal. I'm not saying that's acceptable. I'm saying that 
it seems likely, especially if this is your first big shot at, you know, a, an ongoing series television thing and your, your stardom and whatever you want to call it. On the plus side, moving to Vancouver also means that there are better potential for crossover stuff. And certainly the one of the high points of the Supergirl season was having the Flash crossover, which was the series um, ratings high after bringing in only about seven million viewers on average well. each week. Really, yeah, regardless it was also of location, after, it was also after X Files stopped airing in the same time true, slot. True. Regardless of location, moving it to the CW is really what opens that up. Yes, that's true. I mean, even if they're still in Los Angeles, you can you can do more crossovers when you have it. Yeah, there's less. The there's just time. less paperwork involved. Let, let me ask you guys this. Let me let me throw out an idea here. It's not something I've not been a oh, super boy. fan of. I've I've not been a super fan of this for a long time. But more more and more, I'm starting to grow accustomed to it. I think there was a really big article on uh, Hollywood Reporter this week about this. What if what if we went with a half of a season of Supergirl? What if we went in the fall from basically September through December and that was your Supergirl season? Then in the spring, you have your DC's Legends of Tomorrow. And then the next fall, you get your next 12 episodes or 15 episodes of Supergirl. And you kept going that way. I mean, we see it with iZombie usually gets a half season. DC's Legends of the Tomorrow uh, this year, which was an expensive show, got ha- uh, uh, half of a season. And still went over budget. And still went over budget. You were true. But what do you guys 16, think about a half a season? They got 16 episodes. Yeah, full season on the CW's 23 episodes. Okay. Um, I don't hate that idea. I mean, I think that we should move towards more of a BBC model anyway and make like eight really good episodes mm-hmm. instead of... 16 mediocre episodes and 16 pretty good episodes and four like freaking awesome episodes. Right, um, right. And if that allows them to expand the brand and do more as far as like we get a, we get Supergirl and then the Supergirl Arrow crossover launches Arrow and then the Arrow Flash crossover, crossover, I'm Carol Chan, <laughs> uh, launches the Flash like that. You know, I think something like that could be a really cool way for them to do more universe mm-hmm. uh, jumping as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm just... I just have this weird feeling that we may get a full season this year or this upcoming year for Supergirl. But I think season three may they may look at it and say, look, half a season if we want to keep this going. We don't know what's happening with Legends of Tomorrow, whether it's getting a full season or not. Right. At this point, I think uh, uh, it, it, it think it's wrapping next week, I think, is the finale. Yeah, it is the finale. But we don't know if it's getting like a full series order next right. season or if it's oh, just getting a, a 13, 14 episode run. IMDb currently lists season two as 15 episodes, I think, 16 episodes, I think. Um, so that's that's interesting there. Uh, final question that in this. That would be the same number they had this year. Then. Right, and which was a half season. Um, what would you guys think of the CW network essentially becoming DC's comic book network? I mean, also coming in the fall to the CW is uh, Archie Comics' Riverdale series. We know that Lock and Key from IDW Publishing is currently shopping around to try to get that c- uh, series picked up again. Um, what would you guys think if, if CW is just like, yeah, we'll take all this on. Let's bring back Constantine at the same time. We'll just be the whole comic book network. Well, yes. Will bring they back scrap Supernatural? Then no, I'd I be think, really happy. I think, I think you could do a Friday night, uh, horror kind of thing with Constantine and Supernatural back to back. And that I, would attract, that would attract a lot of people. Just My like only... I think, I just like I think a Monday night Supergirl Riverdale combo would be the perfect combo for those two shows. My only concern with that is that the, the old theory where, you know, the rising tide raises all ships. I'd like to see 
more verisimilitude in who's making the shows. And don't get me wrong, I love the Berlanti shows, and I love the stuff that's coming out from CW, but I'd also like to see stuff that isn't specifically aimed at the you know 18 to 29 market. Oh, well then go over to Sci-Fi Channel and check out Krypton. Okay, I said <laughs> shows that were good. <laughs> Krypton could be good. It could be it really could good. Be. It could be wonderful, but you know, it's not a it's not a concept that I have any interest in based on what they've told me so far. So, you know, that's just me being cynical. But yes, I have no oh. problem with that. Oh, oh, oh that? guys, did I tell you my my idea, like my pitch for Krypton? No. No. It should be it should totally be like just the story of this boy and his little robot. And like they're just kind of like they're both like growing up together. And then, like, by the end, like, the boy becomes a man, and then he becomes a scientist, and then he gets disgraced, and the little robot gets so angry, and he's brainiac. Like, that is... I'd watch that. Yeah. I'd watch that sooner than I'd watch Gotham. Yeah. Wow. Way to go, Rodrigo. Oh, thanks. They they could do it. I think the only downside to it is the, the, you know... The number of voices that would definitely get to be in in play, and also I think there's there's a worry among you know networks specifically in being pegged as you know CBS is the old people procedural network, and ABC it really is, is though, and ABC is the Shonda Rhimes network. Some of them are better than others. I'm all on board with the Shonda Rhimes network. So if you can give me good content, if you can give me stuff that is either worth seeing or something that's still quality and not for me and people are loving it, then I'm perfectly fine with the CW being DC's uh, television branch. My, uh, my schedule, my imaginary schedule that I made up with this was Monday night was Supergirl Riverdale. Uh, Tuesday night would be the flash and I zombie Wednesday night arrow Thursday night legends of tomorrow Friday night wishful thinking Constantine with supernatural. My biggest fear is if they do keep Supergirl on Monday, it will more than likely be directly opposite NFL football. And I think that will continue to whittle away the audience for that show. I think you're not wrong. Monday night is a weird area, though, because, I mean, there have been really successful shows that aired on the Monday night at the 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. or the 8 p.m. slot. 7 a.m. Supergirl. (laughs) Wake up with Supergirl. I mean, that's where we watched How I Met Your Mother for 10 years, and I'm still heartbroken that that show's gone. See? Oh, yeah. And Monday Night Football still going strong. Just saying. All right. Uh, listeners, what? head over to Majorspoilers.com. Share your thoughts on uh, Supergirl getting a second season. We'd love to uh, hear your feedback on this. There's already a lot of feedback over there on the site. And if you want to find out more about Kevin Smith and Buckaroo Banzai or take a look at the brand new DC logo, you can check that out over there as well. Uh, while you're over there, uh, you know, Ukla the Mock, that uh, really cool uh, flick band, um, mm-hmm. one of their uh, creators, Rand, is writing for Major Spoilers. Right. And he's got a brand new uh, series. We're calling it Cromulent Words. And his latest uh, post that went up this weekend is, what Civil War tie-in comics do you need to read? He's not suggesting that you read Civil War itself, but he goes in and he says, here are some <laughs> here are some things that really make the whole Civil War series make a lot of sense. And you can go check that out over at Majorspoilers.com. Wow. That's really helpful. Yes, yeah. it is. All right. With the news out of the way, let us get to some reviews. Reviews. Oh, let's see. Where should we start? Oh, uh, Ashley, let us start with you with Arrow. 
Me. So Arrow. I've been watching some Arrow because it's a thing that I do. And last week, uh, season four, episode 21, Monument Point aired. And it is one of those episodes that is sort of the culmination of a bunch of stuff that's been going on in the season so far. So we have this storyline where Damien Dark is gonna explode all of the world's nuclear missiles in a move that feels a lot like season one Malcolm Merlin's I'm gonna create a big earthquake but with nuclear missiles even though something like a hydrogen bomb would be way more threatening than nuclear missiles and that is the crutch of many many writers but the cool thing about this episode is that you finally get a little bit more insight into what has been happening with Thea and her football player-esque boyfriend. And you get to see uh, exactly what it means for them to be hidden and that Malcolm Merlin betrayed Thea again, even though they, that keeps happening, but nobody seems to feel the need to undo that. Um, but then you get this cool story where you learn about Felicity's father, Noah, and he totally looks like the guy who played Dexter's sister's boyfriend on Dexter. But it's not that guy. And they team up to do some hackery, hackery stuff. And that's really cool until you realize that it's just the same kind of old dude hackery, hackery trope that you've seen on a bunch of other procedurals. So this episode of Arrow was really interesting because it was a lot of really great setup to pay off stuff that's been... Um, happening and developed throughout the season but then it all wound up being really weak and tropey when all of the reasoning behind it was actually explained and it proved to me that they can no longer handle the flashback scenes and should probably just really drop them if we're going to be completely honest yeah, I because think this everybody's season, been to that secret island man and like then what's the friggin point you know, and then like secret. he leaves and goes back and leaves uh, and goes back and. Well, it's it's noted as secret by the Dharma Initiative. Have I made uh, that joke already? Have, have I? Okay, no, let's just move on. Even if you have, right, it's totally worth making. But I think that for me, this episode is very um, representative of this season because the season was kind of crummy, and then we spoilers in three, two, one, murderized Laurel. And it's kind of been on an upswing since then. But now we're kind of getting into that weird, mediocre territory. And I think you can kind of tell since Flash has been on that the Flash writer's attention, or the, you know, who are also the Arrow writers, that their attention has been on Flash. But now that Legends is the cool, like, new kid, that their attention is on Legends. And there was almost an upswing, and Arrow almost wasn't the redheaded stepchild. But with two episodes left, to explain why we're repeating a lot of plot points for the first season. I don't know, man. This episode was kind of a mess. Um, the acting has been pretty much elevated since Katie Cassidy left, which is great. Um, Stephen Amell is doing his damnedest to get through some pretty weak dialogue. And the same thing with uh, David Ramsey playing John Diggle, because they always make him the bearer of bad news and the receiver of bad news if we don't want to see Felicity cry in this episode. Um, so. I guess for Monument Point being kind of a cool word and an actual city in the DCU that we sort of dropped in this episode. And for most of the performances being on point, even though it wound up being kind of messy and lame when they were done with all their exposition, I'm going to give this three and a half slices of meatloaf because it was a pretty good episode for season four of Arrow. But it feels like we're stumbling back to what we saw in the first season and really three years, four years later, we should be past all that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Thanks, Ashley, for that. Um, Matthew, you have 
a look at uh, Jughead number six that is out this week from Archie Comics. This is correct. Jughead number six, which is the big uh, climactic uh, wrap up of the first arc, which, of course, has Mr. Weatherby replaced with an evil principal named Stanger. Now, in the last issue, last time on Jughead, Jughead actually discovered that Principal Stanger's plan is, in fact, to use Riverdale High as a training ground for government spies and that at the big dance, he's going to brainwash all the kids into joining his secret spy school, which sounds totally cool. But in the last issue, they also did something, and this is written by Chip Zdarsky, by the way, art by Erica Henderson. I mentioned Chip Zdarsky because when I say Chip Zdarsky, I think I know what I'm going to get out of a book, and I'm always wrong, but I'm always surprised in the right way. Last issue brought back the Super Teens as part of Jughead's kind of daydream hallucinations. And so this issue opens with more Super Teens versus the evil Iron Mantle. Because, you know, Reggie Mantle, stay with me here, people. It, these are the jokes. It gets better. And, of course, we have some really entertaining kind of back and forth there with the superhero stuff that he's imagining. And the reality of the fact that Jughead is completely unequipped for what he's trying to do. Basically, Jughead is the ultimate slacker guy who is now forced to actively take a role in saving Riverdale High. And the only things he has on his side are Betty, Archie, and Dilton. Now, fortunately, Dilton has a secret. For years and years, Dilton Doily has been in Archie comics, and Dilton has been the little guy with the mealy mouth look and the little glasses. And he, I am Dilton. But in this issue, we discover Dilton's greatest secret. He's, he's there to distract everyone with his greatest ability, the dance. And as Dilton starts to dance, there's an editorial box from Zdarsky that says, Dilton is an amazing dancer. This is now canon times infinity, which I think is quite, a, quite possibly the greatest thing I've ever read in a comic book. But It's like a Billy Pilgrim thing. Yeah, it was truly, truly beautiful. And while Dilton is doing that, Jughead has to fight his way through Moose. I'll say that again. For people who don't know about Riverdale, Moose is the biggest and strongest and dumbest kid on the block. Jughead has to fight his way past Moose, outsmart the coach, and figure out how he's going to undo the brainwashing. All of which he's going to do wearing his purple and yellow Captain Hero costume because superheroes. And this is really, really well done and really well put together because it balances what is kind of a down-to-earth plot. This is tied to the new Archie series, which is sort of a more modern, sort of realistic take on Riverdale, for better or for worse. And it really works for me because it's as though Jughead is aware of the fact that he's been in comics and uses his genre savviness and the fact that he knows he's been in comics for 70 years. And it's part of the plot, but it's very subtle and it's very quiet. So if you don't wish to read it that way, you certainly can. I'm not going to spoiler everything for you. I'm just going to say that the least likely person to come in and save the day for Archie and the Archie gang comes in and saves the day entirely because of Jughead being brilliant and Dilton being an excellent dancer. So at the end of this issue, I am left with a quandary because I now have like five Archie titles on my monthly pull list. 
and I still want more. Jughead number six is a really, really good issue. It's a really good wrap up for this first arc. Four slices of meatloaf for Zadarsky and Henderson on this one. You, you really ought to check this out. If you're liking the new Archie, this is in the same vein with an entirely different twist on it. And I think that's pretty cool. All right. Thank you for that, Matthew. And Rodrigo, I think you have a book that's coming out next week from Dark Horse Comics. Yep. Next week, I think. I have Lobster Johnson, Metal Monsters of Midtown, number one. Lobster Johnson, Metal Monsters. Yeah. So uh, the really enjoyable thing for me about Lobster Johnson stories is that um, they are like kind of like Doc Savage type stories or really more like the shadow type stories. But but the aspect specific aspect of that that I enjoy is that they have kind of these like he has these henchmen um, and they're kind of the ones that are finding things out for him. And then he shows up and shoots things or puts a lobster claw on stuff. Um, uh, this one is fun times. Giant metal monsters show up in New York and they are crushing things. And it, the, I, I really like the design of the monsters cause, or, or, of these like giant robots because they they're not very humanoid. They're mostly just like these like walking pistons. Mm. Um, so you know it's it's like it's a, it's a really co- cool um, kind of thing. Um, if you are thinking, well, this all comes from the Hellboy universe. How Mignola esque is the art? Uh, it is barely Mignola esque, I would say. Um, it's really not not Mignola very much. adjacent, perhaps. Yeah, it's it's. There's there's a light there's a light sprinkling of of Mignola on it, um, insofar as like sometimes people are just lit, like they're not just <laughs> like they're not just half shadow. Um, but uh, this is kind of like kicking it off. Everything's just uh, sort of mysterious. There are characters that are falling into place, so you know not everything's clear. We don't know who is. Uh, behind these uh metallic menaces um but it's cool because uh the the, basically the very first scene of the comic is a uh a radio reporter like this lady who is this all happens in 1937, I want to say. Yep, 1936. So, obviously, no TV. And so, she's coming out and she's describing what's happening. And, like, these robots are, like, flinging cars around her. And she's, like, talking about it. And it's like, ladies and gentlemen, that sound you just heard is a car exploding. Um, and things like that. So, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, I'm interested to see where it goes. You know, Lobster Johnson is not necessarily the part I like the most about this whole universe, but it's not bad. It's cool. And again, because it's kind of this, um, mysterious figure that is grounded by having boots on the ground and these characters with like personalities and relationships with each other, it really has, uh, has a lot of potential. So, uh, altogether I would give lobster Johns on metal monsters of midtown. Number one, uh, three out of five slices of meatloaf. Cool. Cannot wait to read that next week from Dark Horse Comics. Uh, what you will have to wait a little while for is to read Weird Detective number one from Dark Horse uh, Comics. It doesn't come out until June, 
But oh, wow. uh, Dark Horse went ahead and sent this to me because I was super excited about reading it because it's uh, it it takes the Cthulhu mythos from H.P. Lovecraft and wraps it up in uh, in this story, or it's kind of a, a backdrop for this story. Mm-hmm. So Weird Detective um, tells the story of a detective um, by the name of Sebastian Green, who was just an average run-of-the-mill detective, um, no big outstanding things on his uh, on his um, uh, record, anything like that. And then suddenly one day he becomes super cop, essentially solving all the mysteries. He starts uh, looking into some of the weirder um, cases that the New York uh, Police Department is trying to figure out. And he's solving them left and right. And he just basically gets handed all of the weird cases. And in this one, it is the quote unquote case of the skin of a body which basically in the bottom of a pool someone finds a body that has no insides uh, it's got all the outsides uh. but no insides and um we learn i mean it's it's the the detective guy we get to see some of his internal uh, dialogue and monologue he's basically like yes you humans have uh five senses but in reality you only have three senses me on the other hand i have 17 different senses that let me see into the ultraviolet that lets me see uh lets me project my wave patterns from my eyeballs into my cat so i can understand what the cat is saying and uh, all of these different mm-hmm. things and it gets it gets kind of weird until you and i was like halfway through this book and i was like where the frick is the lovecraft stuff in this because i was told that it was going to be cthulhu monsters and all this kind of stuff well, if you're going into this book thinking that it's going to be Cthulhu, maybe Cthulhu will come out at some point in this. But as this first issue progresses, you realize that uh, our weird detective, Detective Green, uh, his body is being inhabited by a Yithian. Yes. What's a Yithian, you ask? Well, they are from uh, Lovecraft's uh, Shadow Out of Time. Some people say it's his greatest, um, his greatest work. But uh, it's definitely one in Shadow Out of Time where you start to discover that there are all these alien races that had inhabited the Earth billions and billions of years ago. And um, in the case of the Ithians, their race had developed to the point where they can leave their bodies and travel forward or backward in time. And their race is eventually exterminated. This is from Color Out of Space. Um, You eventually find out that their race has been exterminated, but they are trying to send themselves back in time and forward in time to try to figure out a way to save their race. So in a sense, Detective Green is an alien and Detective Green's body goes back and inhabits a Yithian on some distant planet somewhere. So we do get a shot of of the the Yithians and um, and Green in the body going, yes, but I'm a human detective. What's going on here? Uh, The one cool thing about the art in that particular panel is they modeled the Yithians directly off the Astonishing Tales cover in which um, uh, Color Out of Space originally uh, appeared in. So that's kind of cool on that. Um, Or sorry, Shadow Out of Time uh, in which the Yithians originally appeared. Um, Then as the story progresses, he's like, well, I'm I'm getting closer to my prey or closer to finding out who's doing all these horrible uh, crimes, which will lead me to my next big uh, adventure or puzzle in figuring out how to save his race. And then you discover that the people he's going to go up against are the people of Innsmouth, the uh, the Dagon worshippers or the Dagon worshippers, the fish people. Mm. And so suddenly it just becomes this whole thing about it's going to be Yithians versus the Innsmouth people. And it's like, well, that's weird. That went in a direction I did not expect to see coming. Um, and so I think for Lovecraft fans, you might get a kick out of this. 
it is, it's funny in a weird way. And maybe that's why we get to call it weird detective. Um, but I want to see where this goes. I don't know if this is completely ongoing or if it's uh, set to a six issue mini, but um, it's it's got something for it. If you're not familiar with the Cthulhu stuff and you suddenly see these triangle or these pyramid shaped people with claws and eyes, you might be going, what the F is that? And then when you uh, see uh, someone being tortured by the mob and uh, the mobsters screaming at the guy he's beating about how his uh, daughter is dead and it's all this guy's fault. And now my wife is going to take care of you. And then you see this fish woman come out of the the water. You might be like, what the F? Um, but I think it's I think it's worth checking out in some places. The biggest problem with this first issue is that how many times have we seen Alien Detective? Well, John Johns did it. And so there's a very big part of this to me that feels like a Martian Manhunter tale. Yeah. Uh, the other part is what's the one that you like so much, uh, Rodrigo, about the uh, guy, the alien that's uh, resident, uh, alien. resident alien. There's yep. also a part of that that feels like resident alien. Yep. And so I'm just like, ah, if they could have done something else besides make this guy a detective. But then it wouldn't have been weird detective. It just mm-hmm. feels like it's a weird mashup of Cthulhu Mythos, Martian Manhunter, and and the other one, Resident Alien, that just kind of kept pulling me out of the comic. Sort so of Crisis on Infinite that's too bad. Lovecraft. Yeah, it really, it really <laughs> was kind of a kind of a, a drawback there. I guess maybe that's part of the problem why you want to uh, borrow from uh, Shadow Out of Time is because you're constantly being yanked out of the comic. Uh, into a different dimension to figure out what's going on. <laughs> the art is pretty good. The art is pretty good. I liked it. Uh, this is Fred Van D- Lenty writing it. The art is by, I think the, the name is Gulu Villanova, G-U-L-U. Um, but uh, the art is pretty good. And I, I'm going to be on board for this for a couple of issues because I want to see how far they go. There is a there is a kind of a three-quarter page, or a, not a double page, but a page and a half splash of him saying how he must stop the the menaces. And you do see a giant Cthulhu and you see some flying polyps and you see some other things uh, in there, which could hint that there are bigger things to come. So I kind of want to see where this goes. Uh, it's n- it's better than average. I'm giving this three and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. Weird detective number one. It, I believe it comes out in June is what they said, but uh, no embargoes right now. They said, go ahead and talk about it. And I thank them for sending it, sending it my way. Yay. Yeah. Uh, if you want to find out more reviews, head over to Majorspoilers.com because that's where you're going to find them. All sorts yeah. of reviews over there, including if you're looking for reactions to uh, television shows. Of course, you can check out the flashback uh, article that I write every week that goes into the comic book origins of the week's episodes. If you're looking for a review of Game of Thrones, Ashley and Jason Inman sit down and they go into detail about the week's episode, although this week it's just Ashley. He's fancy um, and he's in New York. Yeah, I know. He's doing fancy New York things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want to check out a review of Game of Thrones, go check that out. It's all over at Majorspoilers.com. Uh, Ashley, you've been out a couple of weeks, so I'm just going to ask you this question real quick since you have not been able to participate. Who's going to win in a screaming match? Banshee from the X-Men or Black Canary from Black Canary? Uh, Black Canary from the comic books is definitely going to win. Why is that? Because I don't like Banshee. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's that's a good enough answer, right? Sure. Because his face uh, is stupid. 
Yeah. That's uh, that's. I mean, he's Scottish, and that's usually a pro for me. But yeah, he just. I don't have a good answer for that. I just like irrationally do not like that character. So I'm just, and I like Black Canary. So I'm gonna pick Black Canary. My <laughs> Irish wife just rose from our room and levitated down the hall to remind you that he's Irish. Oh well, see, I cared so little about him. I didn't even know what race he was. That's true. Speaking of speaking of nationalities, uh, Irish, Scottish, <laughs> and Canadian. Here's Heck another yeah. here's another weird thing about weird tales that I suddenly remembered. It was something I was going to touch on. <laughs> Are they before. all Canadian? <laughs> no, the guy the guy is weird. Detective Green is so weird and makes weird comments and does weird things. And they're like, well, you do understand that he's from Canada, right? And they use oh, that like right. ten times in a single issue. Well, he is from Canada. Well, those Canadians yeah, like sure are weird. In high school. Uh, it's just it's just weird, and I thought that was that was odd to do that. She but. lives in Canada. You don't know her. Let us get to the major spoilers poll of the week. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for you to pick our next trade paperback that we review. And we have four trades up for your consideration this time. The first one is Gold Digger uh, Pocket Manga Volume 1. We have uh, Gunner Krig. Is that Gunner Krig? Court Volume 1. Gunner Krig. That one's orientation. Now, that is a collection of, I believe, of the webcomic in that. Yes. Uh, We have Dave Volume 1. That's from Image Comics. We've uh, reviewed individual issues here and there. On mm-hmm. this site. And then the final one is The Witcher Volume 2, Fox Children. These were all suggested by you, the listeners. And so this uh, this next month, you have Gold Digger, Gunder King Court, Dave, and The Witcher Volume 2, Fox Children. So, uh, Matthew, do you have one that you would like I want to be to honest see? with you, and this is not just me, you know, trying to keep from getting thrown in that old briar patch. I, I don't really have a dog in this fight. I do not love nor do I hate anything here, so I would lean towards Gold Digger just so I can keep making the joke. Okay. Uh, Ashley? Well, I don't know what any of these are, but one of them has the fox in the title, so I'm going to vote for that Witcher. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's based, I believe, on the video game series, so. Um, uh, Great. I'll know even less about it. Yeah. Hopefully the foxes won't get, like, killed or maimed or anything. Uh, I think there is some children killing in that one. Oh, I'm not sure. It says the Witcher. Uh, Geralt's uh, journey leads him aboard a ship of fools, renegades and criminals. But some passengers are more dangerous than others. And one hides a heinous, heinous secret that could lead crew and passengers to a bitter and hideous fate at the hands (gasps) of a vengeful fox. Vengeful fox. Yeah. Vengeful fox was my drag name. Uh, Rodrigo, what about you? Do you have one? Um. I think last time Gold Digger came around, I was like, you know, I've always been meaning to pick up Gold Digger, <laughs> but never have. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that, put that back on uh, on the table and say, you know, yeah, you know, I've been meaning to read Gold Digger, but never have. I went with the uh, Gunner Creek Court, uh, just because I think it sounds interesting. And uh, when you got uh, a British boarding school that has robots running around alongside side body snatching demons, alongside body snatching demons, forest gods and the odd mythical creature. I think I want to check that out. Uh, But it's not up to us. It's up to our listeners uh, to head over to Majorspoilers.com, cast their vote in the Major Spoilers poll of the week. Matthew, how does it sit right now? Right now, at this very second, the major spoilers poll of the week, I am scrolling down 46 votes in the bag, so it can go any direction. Currently in the lead at 28%, The Witcher Volume 2 Fox Children, Gold Digger and Gunner Creek Court tied. Actually, all three of the others tied at 24%. Yeah. So, one vote. Uh, this, is, this is anybody's game. Oh, it really yeah. is. And and really, to be honest, you know, I put up that um, 
Banshee versus Black Canary uh, poll for two weeks. And it's mm. still within the, the vote is within 2% of one another. When yeah, I, when I shut it down, it was like, wow, it was, uh, I think last week it was Banshee was in the lead. Now this week it was Black Canary was just barely in the lead. <gasps> so it's like really crazy. So, uh, listeners head over to majorspoilers.com, cast your vote for the major spoilers poll of the week. The great NATO says he voted for gold digger. Uh, Jerry said, <laughs> Dave rusty cat said, uh, Gunnar court, uh, and Ingrid says, this is a hard choice. They all sound interesting, but probably wondering about gold digger. So there you go. All right. Uh, I want to thank our sponsor this week. Oh, I got my new tweaked audio headphones. Yeah. I, I, uh-huh. did, I did get those, uh, the new, the new version of them, the uh, ones that are for sports. Uh, and wow, they fit great like, into my ear. These are the for- Hegon or the Hegon sport earbuds. These are the ones that kind of, oh, okay. uh, they have this little curve on the back of the earbud that kind of rests on the back part of your ear, the inner part, you know, how your ear curves mm-hmm. around. I'll tell it like keep kinda, them in place. Yeah. It keeps them in yeah. place and it keeps them in place. Great. Because other earbuds that I've used before, it does get windy in Western Kansas and the wind would be strong enough to blow the cable enough to where the earbuds would fall out. And then there's also the thing that I'm moving around a lot while walking that the earbuds will just work their way out. Not with these, I think they're called Hegon, H-E-G-O-N-E, uh, sport earbuds. They stayed in place. Great sound. I love the sound on this. Uh, I was hearing things that I hadn't heard before. I've been listening to Alex Segura's uh, Silent, was it Silent City? That's his first book that he wrote. Uh, Alex is the uh, PR person over at um, Archie Comics. So I've been listening to his audiobook, and it just sounds great with these uh, sport earbuds, and I'm loving them. The cable is nice and thick. It's still the flat cable design that I that I love. It's got the orange and gray uh, color, which I'm okay with. I'm not. It doesn't really matter about the color that much. Uh, but I dare a dog to try to bite me and yank these earbuds mm-hmm. away from me. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to say. Uh, you shouldn't because yeah. that's dangerous. Dogs, well, but. dogs listen and they, they can hear our show because here's, it's in the dog's register. Here's the thing. They don't listen. <laughs> here's the thing. These sport earbuds are 40 bucks, thirty nine ninety five. But here's the thing, dear listener. If you go over to tweakedaudio.com and you get these sport earbuds, it does have the built-in microphone, so you've got that going for you. That's my favorite part of these uh, tweaked audio earbuds. If you go over there and you want to buy this, you're not going to pay $39.95. No, you're going to pay one-third less. You're going to get 33% off when you use the checkout code MAJOR at tweakedaudio.com. I'm loving them. I think you will, too. Check them out, tweakedaudio.com. Thank you, Tweaked Audio, for your support of the Major Spoilers podcast. If you would like to... Uh, suggest a trade paperback that we review in the future. All you have to do is drop us an email podcast at majorspoilers.com, throw out three or four of them. They will go in the list in the hopper and I will rotate them through over the next couple of months. So uh, do let us know about that. But this month we are taking a look at a book you picked new teen Titans games by Marv Wolfman and, um, and George Perez. And this is a book that was basically like 30 years in the making or it feels Mm -hmm. like 30 years in the making. They started it way back in the 80s during their run on uh, the new Teen Titans at the height of their popularity. And then because Marv Wolfman had some writer's block and some other things that were going on and they wanted to move on to other projects, including Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, the project kind of got dropped and it got picked back up again and got dropped again. And then as the 30th anniversary of the new Teen Titans approached, they finally said, let's get this thing out. And we have Teen Titans games. They had about half of it done. And then mm-hmm. they came back in and kind of rewrote the entire story, even though the art for 70 of the pages was done. 
And they came back and kind of rewrote the story, added on another 70 pages. And we've got, um, we've got a big book. Very big. So what's the, uh, what's the story here, Matthew, with new Teen Titans games? What's, what's the, what's the thing? Well, this is the Teen Titans in their classic incarnation with a couple of uh, minor changes. Of course, Kid Flash is gone to become the Flash. Uh, Donna Troy was Wonder Girl. She's now Troya. Nightwing is Disco Nightwing. And, of course, Danny Chase. Danny Chase, terrible Titan. Not really going to go into it now. But the Titans get wrapped up in a case involving King Faraday of the CBI, who was a very old DC character from like the 50s, I want to say. And King Faraday is being messed with by an evil genius known as the Games Master. And the Games Master is playing basically, it's like a Saw movie in a lot of ways. He's playing a game and doing a bit of human chess, and he's gathered villains to do something sinister and evil, and only the Teen Titans can come together and stop him. But, of course, King Faraday has to convince them to work for him first, and he does that by really, really launching into a terrible, horrible abuse of every single one of his government powers, which makes me yeah. very angry. And then the game, uh, the game's master puts uh, some stuff into play, and um, uh, Cyborg's girlfriend is murdered, is killed, mm-hmm. uh, while saving, trying to save a bus load full of uh, children with um, missing arms and limbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And then that sets everybody off of we've got to stop the games master. And then they go off after this guy and they find out that this guy wants to destroy New York and kill three million people just so he can prove that his predictions that terrorists could come in and attack the United States at any time was correct and that the yep. U.S. needs to be more secure. Now, this is kind of weird coming from a 1980s uh, standpoint when the story was originally developed and looking mm-hmm. back now after uh, 9-11 and other things that have happened. Um, but then, but again, the twin tires were attacked in what in the mid nineties that, uh, 2001. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. That was 93. Yeah. 93. Uh, so, um, so yeah, there's that kind of weird thing hanging over this. Uh, and then there's the question of, will the teen Titans kill somebody, uh, in order to put a stop to these shenanigans? And so actually there's a lot of fighting between, um, good guys and bad guys. And it looks like. The games master has paired up some uh, some villains that are pretty capable of dealing with the with the heroes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> this was a really tough read for me because I really like the earlier Wolfman and Perez stuff, and this mm-hmm. is just like, wow, man! Like, I totally see why you uh, <laughs> you felt the need to step away from this one. Um, and the, but the, I will say the commentary does feel. Uh, you know, yeah, kind of. I guess knows. prescient. I feel like yeah. if I had been reading more of the DC comics at the time, I would appreciate more the choice of villains. But I was like, this is a weird person I've never Some heard of, these, of before. I know. I think all of okay. these villains were. I think all these yes. villains were just made up for this series, weren't they? Oh, really? None then of these I feel villains existed bad. before this. Before this book. Yeah, and and it's kind of important because you know so the asteroid's person. Asteroid's not a person. No, thank God. Or, no. or me- Mecha, Mechan, Mechanoid, Mechan. Mechanations yeah. is not a person. Okay, no, it's kind of it's kind of good because uh, that's hanging the shingle on. Well, the person who captured him is also the person that that let him loose, and so now we know who Games Master is, Rodrigo, and we get to this point in the book where, oh, hey, remember remember Tara when she turned on the team? Hey, it's kind of like that all over again. Yeah, up Tara. Yeah, it uh, it turns out it was King Faraday all along, but he's got like a 
He's got like a Manchurian candidate thing going, maybe. Yeah, kind of um, a multiple personality. Yeah, like uh yeah, something. He's uh he's at war with himself. I gotta and- say, man, when that was revealed, I was just like, wow, they just dipped right back into their greatest story ever told and uh, tried to do it again where the person that the, the team was close with is the bad guy. Was that, is, is that something that was that something that was a disappointment when the King Faraday reveal was made for anyone else? I don't Not know. They were so, reason. they were so reluctant to, to get in bed with Faraday to begin with that. It, it really, to me, it didn't really feel like, like that. Kind of the emotional weight of being betrayed by Terra and being betrayed by Faraday was very different, in my opinion. Yeah. I can it definitely did feel see, like going back to the well, though, don't you think? I can definitely see the thematic similarity. I, I, I had a problem with it for a different reason, because this is another example of, well, you know, I've complained about this many times. In a modern context, in a modern setting, we only get one kind of spy story anymore. It is the evil, corrupt from within spy story. So having Faraday be the villain all along really felt like a cliche on that level. But also, Faraday is—he's not high profile. I wouldn't even call him a you know a, a third tier DC hero, but he is a long-standing DC character from like 1950. And I'm like, why? How? Who? What? I mean, yeah, why? I wonder. We, yeah, I wonder. Why were we if- clamoring for that heel turn? Yeah, I wonder if the biggest OMG moment about this comes from fans who know who Faraday is and wouldn't be expecting it because they wouldn't expect that. Basically, they would just take this like 80-year-old character, not 80-year-old in the comics, but you know, of comics history, and just throw him in the garbage afterwards, you know, because they... <laughs> they can't you're use not, them anymore. You're not wrong. <laughs> they can't use them anymore after that in the same capacity uh, without doing a lot of retconning. Right. This is a story that actually has a couple of those issues in it because this takes place at an undefined time in the Titans' past, but it has consequences for the Titans that weren't actually there at that point in time. Danny Chase stayed a character in the Teen Titans books and died without ever having his hands amputated and replaced with the robotic hand. Spoiler! As happens in here. And Sarah Sims, who is murdered in this issue, actually appears in continuity afterwards. So this has to be an alternate continuity tale. Not that that's necessarily working against it, but I, I feel like it did kind of work against it in that this story being told so long after they had put it together... I I really do feel like some of the big twisty moments and the right. big, you know, the surprises and the drama were kind of undermined by that little fanboy part of my brain going, but that's not what really happened. Yeah, so there's there's a there is one way to look at this and and Rodrigo had mentioned about King Faraday who no one can really knew about. Uh for those people who were fans of Darwin Cook's uh, DC The New Frontier, King uh-huh. Faraday plays a big role in that book. And so that came out I mean, in 2006. King- King Faraday shows up in Justice League, up, the Justice League, cartoon. Justice League cartoon. He in shows Young up in a Justice lot of as well. Yeah, yep. he shows up in a lot of places. So I he think a lot of people. Yeah, yep. I think a lot of people do know how he is or who he is. So I, I think at the time when this book came out in 2012, I think is when it came out. 
Um, it wasn't maybe that much of a big surprise of, of who this is. The other thing is mm-hmm. in New Frontier, uh, Cook said the only continuity is like the original continuity, the way that the the characters were originally created. And so when he did New Frontier, which does split apart from uh, DC continuity, Cook was following the original continuity as it was established in those characters at that time. And so it almost feels like for Matthew, when you're looking at this book and you're going, yeah, but later on, these characters are still around. Had Wolfman and Perez not left New Teen Titans, this would have been their next follow up book, even though there is a divergent path where other creators went and took uh, took the Titans. This is this is kind of like that. It's it's weird because if you're a Teen Titans fan, you kind of you get this. Like mm-hmm. in the way that you don't get like what uh, Kirby was gonna do with Thor, right? Right, right, right. It's like you you still get that story that they never wrote before they left the book. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is that clear what might have been, and mm-hmm. I, I I think I'm the only one who was reading Teen, Teen Titans in eighty four, eighty five, eighty six. And yeah, yeah, you would have been. Well, yeah, at least from I, this angle, because one of us wasn't born, one of us wasn't into comics, and Rodrigo was too. Yeah, I was into comics by eighty six. Were you? Okay. Were you reading Teen Titans? No. Okay. So my statement stands. But the thing (laughs) this is the big thing. Now that it has been rigorously (laughs) fact-checked. This is the big thing. And I want to get this out of the way first. I bought this in the hardcover when it came out and was like, oh, I hope this is really, really good. I'm sorry. Never read the hardcover. And the reason why is I started to. I opened the book. I sat down. I started reading and I started reading and I got probably 20 pages into it. And I was just like, oh, this is not hooking me. And I set that book down and this would have been when it came out. So like 2010, 2011, maybe. Yeah, I forget exact date on this. And it did not occur to me until we were talking about it that I never finished the book. And when I finished reading it for this podcast, for you, faithful spoilerites, dear friends, only for you would I do this as someone who had that, you know, that love that attachment to those titans this book just feels wrong now this is this is not in my opinion not a very good book i don't think um from the story structure standpoint and when you read the the uh forward and afterward from both wolfman and perez you can Mm -hmm. see that the story was supposed to be something totally different in the beginning and Mm -hmm. then perez did 70 pages of art and instead of throwing away 70 pages of art they're like Let's rework the story so that mm-hmm. the art still stands, but we can still work around this and and then ta- and then finish figure out how we're going to finish this book. Um, it feels like a dis- disjointed, jumbled mess. It does. And my biggest complaint comes in art that George Perez wrote or drew in 1988 being colored with uh, modern gradient 3D glowy flippity dippity technique is very distracting. I don't know. I just, it's, beyond the art, which is what a lot of people are in, in this, into this book for is for the Perez art. But the story well, yeah. is just a mess. It's just so jumbled and jarring that at points where you are flipping back and forth between the five big fights that are going on, you're like, what, where am I? What is this? This, this yeah. doesn't make any sense at all. And you have to really slow down and look at this. From yeah. multiple angles to try to figure out what's going on. And Ashley, you said this was very hard for you to to understand. Uh, it was. And I have read all of the Wolfman Perez Titan stuff. Um, Good stuff, right? It's pretty much solid up to this point. 
And it's just, it's not even that it's not particularly good, but it, when you're a fan of a creative team and then they revisit something like this and it doesn't feel like the initial offering that hooked you, you do feel a little bit betrayed and then hopefully you check your privilege. Um, but, you know, it doesn't, they don't really feel like the characters, the the, the storyline is weird. And it's it's not that it's inaccessible, it's just that it's not well done. I feel I feel like the the leaving and coming back to it has had some sort of I, I don't even know maybe a muting effect. Yeah, on yeah, what yeah. I, what I really enjoy is still sort of kind of here, and there's there's a couple of moments with uh, specifically Cyborg's grandparents. Yeah, crack me up. I love Cyborg's grandparents, and there's a couple of moments where you see Cyborg acting in the classic you know, Vic Stone circa 1988 style that feels really solid and really good. But then they immediately sidetrack that by killing Sarah and having him be kind of almost in this, this rage filled vigilante. Yeah. yeah, Like a lethal weapon mode. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it really does come down to that, that question of it's a, like I said, with the coloring, there's modern techniques in play and there's an older Wolfman and an older, Perez, and of course, clearly more skilled, more seasoned, but it also does have that feeling of just disbalance. Like the first half of the story is one thing, or the, maybe the first two chapters are one thing. And then when it starts to turn into what it's really going to be, that thing turns into kind of a Beatles tribute concert. But you know, it's Ringo and Paul and two guys who aren't John and George. And it just, I don't know. That, man. That's it's actually just- another, another complaint that I saw a lot of people, um, when I was doing some research on this book, a lot of people were complaining in their reviews that this is a new teen Titans book. Where's Deathstroke? He was like their greatest villain. And if this is supposed to be a greatest hits, then Deathstroke should have been in this book and he wasn't, and he should have been the big bad. And, and so I wonder Rodrigo is does nostalgia is the nostalgia factor clouding a lot of people's judgment or is this just poor is this just a poor book? Well, I mean, regardless of the um regardless of the quality of the book, um nostalgia is always kind of this double-edged sword, right? And because everybody experiences it differently. So, yeah, some people might be like Oh, oh man, Wolfman Perez are coming back to Teen Titans. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to see everything I love. I'm going to see like Deathstroke and he's going to like stab the Flash because he's like really good at it. And like uh, Starfire and Robin are going to like smooch a little bit. And like Beast Boy is going to turn into like a big green elephant. And you get one of those things in here, you know. But the 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 thing is, People were might have been going in thinking that, but that's not what this was. This was an yeah. incomplete draft that was not meant to be a greatest mm-hmm. hits. It wasn't meant to be a revisiting of the Teen Titans. It's it was supposed to just be a straight up Teen Titans thing, um, and you know maybe would have benefited from uh, kind of the uh, what I want to say, like the not being published. <laughs> be nice. I kind of agree fair, with her. 
Fair, <laughs> fair enough. I was, uh, I'm not familiar with the source material, but I was going to go with the Slarty Barfast uh, <laughs> yeah. treatment of basically making this not a Teen Titans book, but having characters that are very like the Teen Titans. Right. Uh, it would have allowed you to do this kind of like edgier, more tense, more like, you know, the Teen Titans in a post 9-11 world mm-hmm. or in a like five seconds prior to 9-11 world and, there's, uh, and, and, and be able to get away with it. There's also something that we don't really think about. And this is the fact that the classic Teen Titans run begins in 1980. The, the Wolfman Perez issues are the first 45, 50 issues of that. By 87, the new Teen Titans was kind of in a dork age. And by dork, I mean Danny Chase. And by Danny Chase, I mean please murder Danny Chase. <laughs> because Danny Chase is a character that, don't get me wrong, I, I have my attachment to characters that I, whether I've created them or not, that I know are not popular, that are, in some cases, sure, that's sure. the reason I love them. Marv Wolfman maintains to this day that the fans just don't get, you can hear the air quotes, well, he's, he's, Danny Chase. He says that in, in the, um, in the foreword, he basically he is has, like my, he goes, I did not anticipate how much people would hate uh, Danny Chase. But I figured if I just kept going long enough with this character, people would see his redeeming values, which is kind of like I kind of feel why the reason why they've kept Damian Wayne around for so long, because it's like, (laughs) man, if we just keep pushing this kid on people, eventually people are going to like him. I mean, writers get writers get pet characters, you know, and sometimes editorial gets pet characters. And that happens. And, And and it's okay to a certain degree because. Um, I, I feel that even though people don't necessarily think that the contract with the writer is that the writer is going to try their best and they're going to put together all the elements mm-hmm. and then they're going to give it to you. And then you're going to form an opinion on that. It's not the writer's, uh, job to change things for your satisfaction. They're going to write what they want and then it's kind of up to you to buy it or not, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I'm okay with that sort of thing, but I'm also okay with people just being like, you know what? I do not get Danny Chase. Why is he the only one that doesn't get a cool costume? Right. Why is he the only one in this issue? And this is important. This is a book that features Richard Grayson, first born, well, not born, but basically the first son of the frickin' Batman. Mm-hmm. And by the way, we'll get to Batman in a moment. Why is it that Danny Chase gets to be the only one cool enough to be too smart and too together and above the fray and not have them target him and his family? Yeah, Nightwing you know, is is weirdly he's in a lot of panels, but Nightwing is barely in this. Yeah, yeah, uh, because uh, and Dan- Nightwing D- is Danny one of the Chase, best parts of Teen Titans. Yeah, <laughs> Danny Chase is is your cousin Oliver in this case. Yeah, Danny Chase even looks like cousin Oliver and. What it really comes down to is in this story, there's a lot of Danny and there's a lot of things that had already changed in 1987 from the uh, awesome, super classic, wonderful things that everybody thinks when they think of Teen Titans. And when you revisit that, you know, I'm guilty of it, too. Of thinking, well, this is not right. This is, but this is the way it was at the time this book could have, would have, should have come out. Mm -hmm. 
you know, right down to Gar's weird Billy Ray Cyrus mullet and whatever yeah. the hell is, whatever the hell is oh. going on on Joe's head. He I don't know. Mullet. But four months, four months after the Teen Titans Tower explodes, he's back to his old uh, Garfield uh, comb over. You know why? Because it's 25 years later. Because the Billy Ray Cyrus haircut looks terrible. And whatever this, the bizarre Kentucky waterfall is on Jericho's head, and this is coming from me, so you know it means something. What? I, I don't know, man. I feel like, I feel like that is a natural progression from his original kind of like, I, I look like a Cheeto that was left out in the his sun. Jesus kind of haircut. Look. Yeah. He had the same hair that, um, and you remember coming to America? Uh, yeah. Do you remember the girl's boyfriend? Yes. <laughs> no, it does a little too. The, the, yeah. the yeah. soul glow hair with yeah, that's that's the hair that he had. And I you know, I'm really sort of fine with that. But I actually thought like I, I was not familiar with the uh Chase character. I thought mm-hmm. he was a girl. Like the mm-hmm. the moment that he gets introduced, yeah. he has kind of like it's a Velma yeah. mm-hmm. kind of look. Yep. And I was Round like, Oh yeah, up. this is like a street urchin girl. I was like, good, that that evens them out, right? That makes as many boy teen, but then, no, it turns out he's a boy. Yeah, well, you know, he's a terrible character, too, so. Oh, sure. That kind of balances By the, the way, um, Oh, just like a boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Ha, 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 Ashley, what, uh, why, why, do, why do you give this book a thumbs down? Or do you give it a thumbs down? You didn't like it very much. doesn't mean you don't. Um, I would give it as many thumbs and big toes down as I had the dexterity and fine muscle control to do. And she's um, Canadian, so that means six. Yes, um, plus the tail. I would, I think, I just think it fails as a Teen Titans story. Um, you know, it fails to prove like why these characters can stand against or with the Justice League as equals and it fails to show you that they work as a team and that they're worthy of treating with the respect and dignity of giving them you know threatening villains at the very least and it's not that you can't have the 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 teen titans or the titans it's not that you can't have them be weak and you can't have them grow and learn but we don't even do that like it's it's three drafts away from being readable but so, we're stuck reading it. So bottom line for you is pass. Pass so hard. Just yeah. go back and read the first 40 issues again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm going to, cool. for me, it's also going to have to be a pass. I, I just, there's so much confusion and the way in which, which they defeat their foes is, I don't know. It feels very contrived and forced. In Lame. This. And then the, the whole King Faraday reveal to me was just like, oh, we're do, doing uh Tara Markov all over again. So, um, yeah, no pass for me. Do, do, don't buy this book or don't read the book. Uh, Matthew, final final thoughts from you. It suffers greatly from trying to serve two masters in that it starts out and was created to be a cool Teen Titans graphic novel. But 30 years later, upon reworking, it became something that was kind of a, a a big return to form it was like a it, it had to be some sort of tour de force and when you force in the villains that you have so that everybody has their balanced villain and everybody has to overcome their personal villain but somehow oddly weirdly that actually makes the story less personalized and somehow less character filled and you know there 
there's the whole thing with Batman. And I think my biggest complaint is the way it has to dance around continuity issues like we do with Batman, because they make it clear that King Faraday knows exactly who Dick Grayson is. But the, somehow there's an implication that Batman is still safe and that he doesn't know who Batman is. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And that feels like editorial caveat. And really, that describes a lot of this story. It's two things, neither of which is fully baked. And while I love these creators, I love these characters, except for Danny Chase, I would have to go pass as well. This just it, it, it doesn't come together the way that it could have. And maybe it's an example of why you shouldn't go home again. And Rodrigo. Um, I think there's a lot here art wise to like, um, uh, for me specifically there, they have this like playing card of Troya and that is like the cutest that character has ever looked like, she's right. just like, kind of like floating with her arms out. I'm like, I would like to own that. That is like the cutest little superhero I've ever seen. Other than that, I feel that this weirdly should have been longer. I feel like this was all like a giant first arc to something that should have been half as long and then kicked off into something else. That's actually, for me, what it really feels like. Um, I can't really recommend this. There's not much, like, if if Matthew and Ashley, being Teen Titans fans, didn't like it, like, I can't, like, there's nothing else here because the story is kind of convoluted and clunky. Uh, so it's going to be a pass for me as well. All right. Well, there you go. That's uh, listeners. For those of you that v uh, wrote in and said, hey, please review this book. We reviewed it. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, the Flash was in it for a minute. Yeah. yeah well, Batman a couple, was in couple it for a minute. Shame too. on you. Shame. Yeah. All right. That wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, being part of the Major Spoilers experience. We're going to be back next week to answer your comic book questions. So send them in podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Why? Because we know that you love comics. We do, too. And we will talk with you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the Man of Steel. I'm gonna rearrange your things if you continue to debate whether Logan's claws could pierce Steve Rogers' shield. I just couldn't care less if they bring back Craven. Podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.